innovative Often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it Make it way harder for them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk You painted skunks You played enough I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, fight WHUPLP, Hillsborough, North Carolina, the center of the known world. This is the Cage Side Concussion Cast, which is your source for the fighting arts in the Carolinas and beyond. I am Jeff Shaw, and today is a big day. If you're listening to us live, it's May 1st. It's about 10 o'clock in the morning, and at noon at Durham Central Park, we're having our first ever live event, the Concussion Cast Carnival, over at Durham Central Park. That'll be going on from noon until about 3, maybe might go as late as 4. Point being, if you're listening to us live, come on over for a bunch of jiu-jitsu super fights, awesome food trucks, free seminars for women's self-defense and for uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, as well as a bunch of other fun uh, community times. We'll talk about that in a second when I cap off the news segment. But just so you know, if you are listening to this live on WHUP, uh, at 104.7 FM, then you still have time to get over to Durham, North Carolina, if you're within driving distance, and I would urge you to do that. Um, we are, in fact, coming to you live on 104.7 FM, also streaming live everywhere at whoopfm.org. So whether you're here with us in Hillsborough, whether you're somewhere else in the Triangle area, or listening to us on the Internet, thank you so much for tuning in, uh, where we're telling the untold stories of martial arts in North Carolina and beyond. So we have two featured interviews today, uh, both of which are about the carnival and uh, and, and the broader jiu-jitsu and martial arts scene in North Carolina, but both are related to our event. I'm uh, just previewing those briefly. Uh, first, we're going to talk to Brian C. Reed. Brian is a writer at the Independent Weekly, the Indie Week, which recently, and by recently I mean this past week, had a cover story on the local MMA scene. In order to learn all he could about local martial arts, uh, Brian, who trained traditional martial arts at the Chapel Hill Quest Center for the past two years, decided to take the Intro to MMA eight-week class at Elevate MMA. And when he and in addition, he interviewed eight folks from around the area, including me, um, to talk about the history and growth of the North Carolina MMA scene. If you haven't read this story yet, you can check it out. It's all over the place, getting a tremendous response. You can check it out at IndieWeek.com. We also have it linked to our Facebook page. So we're going to interview Brian, and you know, one of the things that you'll hear in the interview is that uh, he feels like so much got left out of the interview, that it was so difficult for him to to cut down some of the anecdotes and interviews. And so he gave us some of what got left on the cutting room floor. So you'll be, able to get, you'll be really interested in that, I think. Our second interview is going to be with Samantha Fallhaber. And Samantha is a black belt with Gracie Humaicha, who uh, trains in Philadelphia. And she is going to compete in the main event of the Concussion Cast Carnival uh, today against Caitlin Huggins from Divine Jiu-Jitsu in South Carolina. Um, that is going to be an awesome match, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it's the first black belt match uh, between women in North Carolina history, so we're making a little bit of history today, another reason you should come out to the carnival. But you'd, you should also listen to our interview with Sam, who has a movement practice, that, um, and, and she'll talk to us a little bit about her jiu-jitsu training and about how her uh, Thai massage and movement work relates to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And those of you that are interested in preventing injuries and becoming more aware of your body, which should be all of us, you should tune in and check that, that out as well. 
Before we get into the main interviews, we're going to do our news segment, and it's going to be a short one today because for a couple of reasons. First of all, as I record this, um, in, uh, results are still coming in from the Atlanta BJJ Pro. Um, I, so we'll, we'll go over some of the results that I know, but please acknowledge that these are incomplete results. And then I'll give a brief overview about the, about the carnival, and then we'll finally get into our, into our main interviews. So here's what we know. We know Jin Ho Kim from Forge Fitness, the Korean honey badger, uh, really popular dude around the area, terrific attitude, tremendous athlete, um, won his division. Um, I think he choked all three of his guys, including put one of them unconscious with the Darce choke. Uh, so, so, so good times. Congratulations to Jin Ho. He's, he's an awesome guy and a tremendous athlete, and so it's really good to see him getting success. Uh, John Bagels Telford got third in uh, got took a bronze medal uh, at the brown belt division, and friend of the show Bryce Lighthall also took a bronze medal in the adult blue belt division. So congratulations to those guys as well. Um, as we get more news, um, we will post uh, updates to our Facebook page. And so that's the 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 the, the non carnival news. But to close out the news segment, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the carnival just briefly. So um, you know you've heard us talking about it for weeks. Uh, hopefully we've convinced you to come out. Um, if not, uh, you know, if, if we haven't convinced you yet, here's what should convince you. Ten tremendous jiu-jitsu matches uh, starting at noon, a free women's self-defense seminar. That'll start about 12.30 p.m. with Seth Champ, Hoist Gracie Black Belt, Abu Dhabi qualifier, and silver medalist Kim Rice, who's also a, a jiu-jitsu world champion, and Shayla Tu, double gold medalist at the Pans, who are, uh, are going to be teaching that. It's going to be tremendous for all skill levels, so if you have uh, – if, if you have – uh, women who train at your gym who are interested in learning the, the Gracie self-defense, or if you have someone who just needs to be introduced to Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, that's a great introduction. For people that are a little bit more advanced and are more uh, sport Jiu-Jitsu players, Daniel Frank has agreed to do a worm guard seminar for free. That's going to happen around 1.30, and so you should ch- come and check that out. Uh, whether you do Jiu-Jitsu or not, it'll be fun to watch the matches, and we will also have great food from the Delicious food truck from... Um, with the Will and Pops food truck and from Triangle Beans and Bowls, who will have acai bowls and uh, cold-pressed coffee. So that's going to be great. If you're listening to this and you're like, Jeff, I can't make it, uh, either I have other plans or I live in Asheville or wherever, you will be able to stream it. We're experimenting with streaming with Facebook Live. So you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash radio, and watch the whole thing. Uh, for free, of course. It, you know, Because that's experimental, we don't know exactly how it's going to go. Hopefully it goes well. If not, uh, CJ Kelleher from uh, Velocity Shoot Photography is going to be recording the matches, and so we'll have those up on YouTube pretty soon. But please come out, support the local scene. We're asking a $10 suggested donation that's going to help Cage Side MMA and Triangle Jiu-Jitsu move into their new location. And speaking of Cage Side MMA, they will, of course, be there selling Cage Side gear and Toro BJJ gear. So please come out, support the event, um, and check it out. So without further ado, um, I want to talk a little bit about Brian Reed's article before we get into his uh, before we get our, into our interview with him. So I thought uh, so if you haven't read it, it's up at indieweek.com right now, and uh, I thought he did a tremendous job. And you know I'm somebody that does have a journalism background, and so like not that you should listen to me more than you should listen to anybody else, but like I was really impressed with the rigorous research that he did for the story. Like to do a story like this, it would have been really easy for him just to take the class, take. Cody's eight-week intro class at Elevate and write about his own experience. And there's definitely some elements of that in there. Like, here's what I learned. Here's how that, that compares to my own practice with traditional martial arts. Here, you know, it, that would have been a really easy story. But he didn't just do that. He, he interviewed a lot of people and took a lot of time interviewing those folks. And so the great thing about that is what the result was a really comprehensive and I think well-researched story 
you can always tell when someone like there's a great Ellie Wiesel quote where he says the difference between a book that was always 200 pages and a book that was 400 pages but is now 200 pages is that the 200 pages are still there you just can't see them and I think that's that's true of everything and that like if you put in the work not everything is going to make it into the final piece not everything is going to you know a lot of that stuff is going to end up on the proverbial cutting room floor but that doesn't mean it didn't inform the piece part of the reason I think Brian's story is so good is that he had he, he enhanced his base of knowledge the other reason I bring that up is um, a lot of that great stuff didn't make it into the piece. So if you want to learn about some of that great stuff, one way to do so is to listen to our featured interview with Brian Reed, which starts now. So Brian, where did you first get the idea about writing about the local MMA scene? That's a good question. It's kind of um, an interesting thing because it, it really coincided with me taking up martial arts about two years ago. Um, I started training at Chapel Hill Quest Center. Uh, in Toshindo Ninjutsu, and um, a few months after that, I saw a flyer for the Bull City Brawl. And, you know, like most people, I think I'd seen UFC on TV and, you know, had watched plenty of kung fu movies, like always liked martial arts as a spectator. So I thought it was really cool that there was this thing locally where you could go see fights, and that that's all I knew about it at the time. Um, but I thought it would be interesting to try to go cover the event. So I pitched it, and my editor liked it, and the event got canceled. Uh, and, but I kept an eye on it, and, um, you know, unfortunately, the Bull City Brawl has been canceled a couple times and postponed, and I'm not sure what the future holds for that particular promotion. But um, the idea was there, and, you know, when Cody opened Elevate, it was kind of at a time when I was looking to take what I had learned at uh, Chapel Hill Quest Center and add to it um, with especially more jujitsu, but um, really just to kind of take as much as I could and, and see what the rest of the world of martial arts had to offer me. And um, Cody put a Groupon up for his intro to MMA class. And I saw that and I thought, eight weeks, that's a solid like time frame. It's a new school, so there's a bit of a news peg. And let's see if I can get the indie to send me to MMA school. <laughs> and uh, shortly after that, was the, uh, the carnival was announced, which coincided you know, within about a week of me ending this program. So the, the timing really couldn't have been better, and I think my editor, Brian Howe, saw that <laughs> and, and was excited to kind of send me into the, into the world of MMA. Well, we were very excited to unintentionally give you a news hook for your story. But you sort of bring up a, one element about the story. I want to talk about it in some kind of granular detail, but also so the sort of view from 30,000 feet, for those of you who haven't read it and should go out and read it, is it sort of equal parts you go through this eight-week introductory program with Elevate with Cody, and like you, you also talk about the growth and evolution of the local MMA scene. I'm wondering if that's something you had planned on from the beginning, or was it was it supposed to be an individual, I go learn, learn MMA a story, or was it always supposed to be something more about the broad Carolina MMA scene? Well, as I said, the the idea really started with me saying, wow, I didn't know that you could go see this locally. Um, so I was really curious in using my training as a springboard to look at what other people were doing and seeing how far it really extended. You know, you do a couple Google searches looking for jujitsu schools, and suddenly you realize there's 
half a dozen Hoist Gracie affiliates here. And if you know the first thing about MMA, you know the name Hoist Gracie, um, which is about all I knew <laughs> at the time. Um, but, you know, it seemed like a, an unusual number of schools to be affiliated with a single instructor, especially one so closely linked to the history of MMA broadly. Um, and, you know, I think the fact that Hardy Merritt, who owns uh, Chapel Hill Quest Center, had done some MMA fights was one of the things that really gave me confidence in what I was training there. Um, you know, one of our other instructors, Brian Griffin, is a Marine scout sniper. I mean, these are guys who, you know, know fighting in a very real sense. Um, and, you know, at the time, that's not exactly what I was after for myself, but it gave me a lot of confidence in what I was learning, that it wasn't just, you know, um, historical reenactment. Um, it, it gave more dimension to it. And, and to be honest, as I started training with them and seeing how it was working and gained that confidence, my own instinct, you know, my own interest in seeing what else was out there and, and learning more about MMA in particular kind of grew from that foundation. Um, and I wanted to know what, what it was like, what inspires people to take a fight for the first time? Uh, what inspires, you know, what inspired people to start from when there was nothing here, when MMA was in its infancy to, to try and figure out this thing as it's evolving? Um, and you know, how is what I'm doing different from what people were doing 10 years ago, which I think is shockingly different (laughs) in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it was a lot less structured and a lot more hardcore back in the day when you had people who were already experienced martial artists and, you know, you didn't do it if you weren't planning to look for opportunities to fight for real. Um, you know, now I think you do have the option to train more recreationally and kind of, you know, start training and go, well, I don't know if I'm ever going to take a fight, so why don't I train and see, see what I get out of it? And um, what, I, what I found that was really interesting to me is, you know, the, the community aspect of it. You know, Cody had a really great quote where he said, whether it's martial arts or yoga or CrossFit or whatever, people like to have something to do that connects them to other people. And I think that is profoundly true in my own experience training. So that's, that's what I hope I conveyed in the story. What surprised you the most during the process of reporting the story? Was there one thing that jumps out at you? I don't know if I should say it's a surprise because I tried not to go in with any preconceptions, but one of the things that I guess I was delighted to find is how, how many interesting stories the people that I interviewed had. I mean, to be completely honest, cutting it down to the size of story that it is, was a, that was the hard part. You know, it was like cutting weight for a fight. It was brutal. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I interviewed about um, eight people for the story, including you, and I think I could have done a profile on any one of them. Um, you know, there's, a, there's just so many interesting stories and interesting characters that come through this. People, you know, coming from different backgrounds and different inspirations, whether, you know, you're talking about chess with Dewan Owens or, um, you know, talking with Dewan or Cody about being in the military or uh, living in Okinawa with you, Jeff. Um, it's, it, you know, none of the inter- most of the interviews were over an hour long. 
until I got towards the end of it and I was having to force myself to to wrap it up because I realized I had a lot of transcription to do. What was the anecdote that was the toughest cut for you? Like, what did you really want to want in the story that ended up out of the story? One of the first things that I did in the process of reporting this story was I came to the uh, Hip Hop Chess Federation benefit here at Elevate um, in February. And that was the first time I'd walked through the doors here and I didn't really know what to expect. And it was packed. Um, you know, it was the first time the gym had opened and the mats were squeaky clean and brand new. Um, and they were full of people representing, and, you know, I could tell just by, you know, everybody's shirts and, and shorts, the logos of every school that I'd encountered, um, just rolling hard and going at it and being here to support the opening of a school that is a business competitor, a competition competitor. Um, it, you know, it seemed, it seemed like a really cool and supportive group of uh, a really supportive community in a way that um, it really doesn't have to be. And in a way that is a little surprising, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's one of those things where you're interested in something that anytime you're interested in something, there's a good chance that a lot of other people aren't. So when you find people who are interested in the same thing, naturally you're going to be friends more than enemies. Um, just by and large, you know, you see somebody wearing a shirt of your favorite band, you have something to talk about right away. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you're dealing with sports and stuff, if you're on competing basketball teams, you may have a lot of respect and, and a good relationship with each other, but you're competitors. So, you know, it, I think there's an interesting balance there in how these things are struck and finding out about the, uh, the common lineage that a lot of the instructors and in schools share um, and how a lot of those things came in and started, you know, kind of expanding out from, you know, a pretty tight focus, you know, of, of early people who adopted it early on, like Jason Culbreth and Billy Dowie and Hardy and um, so on and so forth. I know Seth Champ and Jake Whitfield were part of that and... Um, you know, as, as it's grown, it just kind of seems like it's spread out, but hasn't lost its center, which is really cool to see. One of my favorite quotes in the article is, uh, you mentioned Jason Culbreth, and Culbreth talks about how in the day it was about real fighting, and now we've turned it into, and this is a direct quote, a candy-ass sport, which anybody who has talked to Jason Culbreth, that, that's not going to surprise you that he said that. What struck you about your interview with Jason uh, in, in particular? Uh, it was fascinating. He gave me a lot of really good background on how, on, on that evolution from, you know, fighting to candy ass sport, but also how important that evolution in, into uh, a, a sport with rules and, and enforced regulations um, really legitimized it and made it grow, I think. You know, Jason didn't say this in my interview with him, but Cody has quoted him saying it to me, that you can have a gym or you can have a fight club, but you can't have both. And changing it from a fight club into a gym, um, at least for people like me, I can't speak for everybody, but I wasn't interested in joining a fight club, um, but I was very interested in, in joining a gym. And um, so it's, it's, I think, a really crucial thing 
when you're discussing MMA and, and trying to lean into some of the controversy around the sport, especially early on, but even now, um, especially after the incident with Joao jo Carvalho in Ireland, um, who died, and seeing some of the r responses in the Irish press about that, um, you realize that on the one hand, all the rules and the way that it's changed, it, it changes the nature of what you're doing. Anytime you have a rule set, you train for the rule set. This is the difference between self-defense jujitsu and sport jujitsu. They're very much overlapping, but you're training for different contexts. Um, and it does change the game. But at the same time, you know, I think there it's still a combat sport and the first word is a, as important as the second you said two years ago you couldn't imagine doing what you're doing now in terms of training you know training mma and mm -hmm. what changed i think you know i got acclimated um i was not i've never been a particularly athletic person um i was a late bloomer so competitive sports particularly contact sports never stuck with me. I tried football, hated every moment of it. Um, you know, by and large, I was a, you know, I, I was a skateboarder. I wanted to do things on my own. I didn't have a competitive mindset or the killer instinct, you know, and so competing and fighting was far from my mind. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I always loved Kung Fu movies and the Wu-Tang Clan and all of those things that are parallel to it. Um, so the idea of being able to practice martial arts without any pressure to uh, actually fight or compete at first, unless I wanted it, um, that opened a door for me. I, you know, that was really important. Um, I think, you know, working up to more lively training and, um, you know, working your way up and building confidence is really important, as is the bringing it to the lab and figuring out if it really works for sure. Um, so you can have that confidence for real. Uh, so you have the opportunity to question your faith, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but at the same time, you know, if I had walked into an MMA gym 10 years ago and gotten my butt kicked, I probably would have been one of those people that never came back. You know, who knows? I don't have a crystal ball, but I don't. Knowing myself, I think it, it was a longer process for me to work 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 at my comfort level. What's the most, most important lesson that you learned during your eight-week training here at Ele Elevate? I know that that's past and you're continuing to train, but like during that introductory pro like what would you say the most important thing that you learned was through your training as opposed to your interviewing folks? Um, well, just from a personal standpoint, I've really kind of been concentrating a lot more on forms and details and uh, throwing combinations instead of... Um, you know, going one move at a time. Um, I think for me, training MMA and training traditional martial arts at the same time has been a huge complement to one, one another. Um, you know, thinking, it, it changes the thinking in terms of, you know, trying to find the overlaps and uh, working the details to make sure that what I'm doing is as... You know, it's just taking my improvement and kind of pushing it, like pushing the accelerator. Uh, so I think that as far as what has training for that eight-week program done, um, that for me personally, that's the biggest thing. Um, seeing 
kind of how, you know, one of, one of the quotes that I got early on from Dewan was actually not, it wasn't an interview quote, it was just something he said in class when he was subbing for Cody. And he said, MMA is not wrestling and jujitsu and Muay Thai, it's the in-between spaces. And that stuck with me because I think the intro class did a really good job of kind of showing the different components and working on the fundamentals of striking and, you know, a few basic grappling techniques. Um, but it forced, because I was working on them within the same 45-minute span, it, it forces you to look at the transitions and the, those spaces between, which are super important. What do you think you get out of the traditional martial arts compared to what you get out of MMA? You mentioned about trying to find the overlap and the commonalities. I, what, what does each do for you individually? Oh, I think I'm still trying to figure that out in terms of articulating it, and I don't know that I ever exactly will. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, training in traditional martial arts, there's a little bit more of the pronounced um, philosophical aspects of it um, because you're not training for sport or competition so there's the mindset of being a whole martial artist and especially with ninjutsu if you look historically I mean that component is there and it's strong and you know there there are more it's more than just hand-to-hand -hand combat you know there's things like horsemanship and uh, wilderness survival and and medicine um, which all kind of you know, I'm not riding horses day to day, but in terms of how you think about that is the skill set you need to lead a successful life and be self-reliant and be able to take care of your family and your neighbors and stuff. That that philosophy has been really important and really inspiring to me. Um, and uh, at the same time, you know, that was my introduction to martial arts in general, which has taken... Uh, taken on a life of its own for me. Um, as far as training MMA, you know, I have really come... W when I started, I didn't... If you'd asked me two years ago if I thought I'd be doing this, I would have laughed. You know, yeah, I I'd be happy to go watch the Bull City Brawl, but yeah, I'm not not looking to compete or anything. Well, I'm competing in a jiu-jitsu tournament in July if all goes according to plan, and uh, which will be my first. And... Um, you know, it, it it just it's I get something completely different out of it when I'm focusing on competing and and you know the the athletic aspects of it. Um, and it's not to say that these things are mutually exclusive. Like I don't get the athletic and training aspect, at, you know, from traditional martial arts, and I don't get you know the philosophy and self improvement aspect from MMA because they're they're super complementary. Um, but if you, I have to draw a separation, I guess that's you know, kind of where I start to wobble between them a little bit, but I think one strengthens the other. So you mentioned you did, you interviewed eight different people, and, th and those were long interviews by and large. Were there any interviews that, was, was there anybody you wished you'd been able to talk to that you didn't? And it, so I don't, know, I don't know the answer to that, so let's find out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, there, I would have liked to talk to everybody, um, you know, I think, unfortunately, I'm dealing with limitations of space and time. Um, you know, one of the things that I had a really fun discussion uh, with somebody I trained with at the Quest Center on Facebook 
um, about the role of women in building the martial arts community, um, which is something that is lacking in my story. I, I recognize that, and it was, uh, you know, I earlier drafts had kind of some details in there about, you know, Kim Rice and Mary Holmes and their recent tournament success, which I think is fantastic and and you know there's great stories to be told there so i you know if there was one thing that i wish i had been able to explore more that might be it especially in the broader context seeing how women's mma has you know spawned some of the the sport's biggest stars um yeah i I think that is pretty interesting um but i you know (laughs) limitations of space and time and everything i i think uh hopefully i I did an okay survey of the scene at large um but man there's so much that i could have gone into and so much that i would have loved you know i could have broken this into so many different pieces and like i said i could have done a profile on any one of the people i talked to i could have focused just on the history i could have focused just on my own my own path um tried to give a little bit of all of it and hopefully it's a it's a good sample so um, many people who read your stories know you from music writing i'm wondering is there anything from music writing that informed your writing about mma when i write about bands i try to write about the people um you know the uh writing about music is kind of a misnomer because you can't really describe how something sounds uh, the dancing about architecture maxim applies. Um, so the, the, the stories that I enjoy reading and writing the most that are about music are really about the people who make music. Um, just like, you know, this isn't a story about arm bars and rear naked chokes. It's a story about the people who built a scene in North Carolina. So, you know, it's, it's really not that different, even though the topics are totally unrelated. So one music question. Since you're such a music guy, you must have thought about what your walkout music would be if you were to take an MMA fight. And if you haven't, I would urge you to think about it in the next three seconds and <laughs> let me know what your walkout music would be. Uh, I'd like to say I haven't thought about it, but that would be a lie. Um, but because I'm a music guy, I can never pick one song. Um, so, you know, really it comes down to uh, do I want to play it straight and go with something, you know, aggressive, like, you know, something that just seems like right dead, you know, right on the nose, like overkill by Motorhead? Um, or would I want to do something that kind of changes the tone and, uh, you know, walk out to like a Frank Sinatra or, um, you know, maybe something really mellow, like uh, In a Silent Way by Miles Davis or something, or, you know, just have some fun with it and do something quirky. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out someday. You're talking to a guy who made an entire Spotify playlist of walkout music, divided into ironic, straight, and personal category, so I completely get it. So I won't ask you what your favorite interview was, because that's obviously me, but, but other than me, um, was there a particularly insightful moment of the interview of an interview that didn't make it into the piece that you'd like to tell the listeners about? Uh, there, there are a lot of things. And, you know, at this point it's funny because 
due to the nature of the story, I was trying to just be a sponge for anything that came up in training or in conversations and let a lot of that fill in. Um, you know, one of the things that Hardy has mentioned, and I think he brought it up in our interview, is the idea that conditioning is self-defense. If you're training for self-defense, um, it's, uh, you know, conditioning is an important aspect of that. If you've been gassed out in a fight or a tournament, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Because no matter how good you are, if you can't breathe, you're, you're done. Um, and, you know, from that same interview, the idea that you can be a good martial artist, you can be a good fighter, and you can be both. Um, but just because you're a good martial artist doesn't necessarily mean you're a good fighter. And just because you're a good fighter doesn't mean you're a good martial artist. And that's kind of like we were talking about a second ago, where you have the, the broader philosophical aspect, and you have the the hand-to-hand -hand combat component of it, uh, you can separate them out, but, you know, that was interesting for me to kind of look at it as a uh, more holistic practice. Um, I I really liked that uh, Jason Culberth quote about turning it into a candy-ass sport. That was, that was, you know, one of those ones when you hear it on the phone, you just, it, you know that one's going in print. Um, because it really does kind of put a, an exclamation point on the evolution of, of MMA and how it has been able to enter the mainstream and no longer be something that um, is this sort of fringe fight club thing that people just... I think the preconceptions and stereotypes people may have had are starting to fall apart because it's become more visible and more accepted as a sport. Um, so, you know, there's... There's a lot of stuff. There's, I, I feel like the story is just the tip of the iceberg, and if I hope people who are interested in it uh, treat it as an invitation to explore for themselves. I mean, I feel like that too. I feel like you. Uh, I feel like it's a really great story. That's a, a, an overarching survey of, of where the scene is and where it's been. But like you said, you could branch off into so many different areas. I'm wondering. There's been a really positive response from inside the martial arts community to the story. I'm wondering, have you heard responses from outside of the martial arts community, like either from your editors, people in your community, people that typically know you through music writing or, or, or something like that? What What do non martial artists think of the story? Uh, my mom really liked it. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's been interesting because I have been writing about music almost exclusively for a number of years. Um, I've been making a conscious effort to try to branch out and cover more topics. Um, so this was one of the, this was the, probably the biggest foray into that that I've done. Um, and it, it's been really cool to see, you know, friends and family respond positively. It seems like something that they actually get or at least, you know, are more interested in reading about in that survey level than, you know, something about a band that they may never hear. Um, especially, you know, because I write a lot about hardcore punk and death metal, and it's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, you know, I, my editor was, uh, had a lot of nice things to say about it, and, um, you know, that was all really, really humbling to uh, to have such a positive response inside and outside of the martial arts community. To be honest, you know, in the days before it was published, I was a little anxious, like, oh, what are all these, you know, what are all the people I train with? What are my coaches? What are, what's Jeff, what's Jeff Shaw going to think? You know, uh, I, I wanted, 
I wanted to be fair. I wanted to tell a, a good story. I didn't want it to be promotional, um, but I didn't, it, I don't, I wanted to get it right, you know? Um, so hopefully I came close. Well, it sure seems to me like you did, and uh, and you can trust me because I have a journalism background, um, <laughs> and and I have an honest face. But uh, so it, it, wrapping up, is there one other thing, like what haven't I asked about about the story that you think is really important for people to know that just read it? Well, we have talked about it. Um, we talked about it in your interview, but it, it was another one of those things that didn't work its way into the final story. Um, but you and I talked a lot about, you know, the, the types of people that are, are training and, and how humbling martial arts can be and how it has a tendency to weed out the jerks. And, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't exactly surprised to find that I met a lot of really nice and interesting people. Um, you know, I'd already had some experience and that had pretty much been my experience across the board. But I do think it like if I were to stress one thing, it would just to be to try to say that, you know, there's a really strong community of really interesting, welcoming people um, who will push you to to do things that you might not think you're capable of um, and who, uh, you know, are just have fascinating stories to tell. You know, this has been a real deep dive into some really interesting places. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much for talking to us today. You are listening to the K-Side Concussion Cast. I am listening to the K-Side Concussion Cast. My thanks to Brian Reed for that interview. If you haven't read his story, you can check it out at IndieWeek.com. Without further ado, we're going to get into our second interview with the main event, uh, one of the two main event fighters uh, for the Concussion Cast Carnival today, Sam Fallhaber, black belt from Gracie Humaicha, and she has a lot of interesting things to say, so we're going to get right to it. So Sam, how did you get started training jiu-jitsu? Um, I started in 2002 or 2003. My dad wanted me to get involved for self-defense reasons. We saw the UFC stuff when we were little kids and um, finally found a place opened up in Little Salisbury, Maryland with Miles Moffat and Southside Jiu-Jitsu Club. And um, I watched one class, saw they did a basic arm bar, went back, practiced on my boyfriend. He didn't like it. And I signed up. <laughs> I was none. That's just nobody expected me to, or my dad didn't expect me to run with it and uh, move around the country for it. And be on the radio for it someday <laughs> well i'm sure he's very pleased that you stuck with it sure you definitely would not rather me be a doctor or a lawyer at all nope <laughs> but you can choke a doctor or a lawyer that's and that's true. basically the same thing pretty much or at least threaten them until they treat me there you go <laughs> yeah right it's, it's all, it, all, it all boils down to that so, so you've been training for years. You're a black belt now, and you've been doing black belt competitions. Uh, what, what are you taking away from the competition experience so this far into jiu-jitsu? Man, I, I, I started taking it really seriously in 2007 or 8 when I was a blue belt, and um, 
you know, I've, I've won some big things. I've been in the finals a lot of times of, of Pan Ams and Worlds and only won a, a few of them. That's kind of a running joke at this point. And I got my black belt after winning Pan Ams at Brown Belt last year. And it's opened up opportunities for me for sure. Like I've traveled around the world now. I have friends everywhere. But some of these things are given to anybody that trains jiu-jitsu as part of the beauty of it is having a bunch of locals as your friends anywhere that you want to go that you can meet lie on top of and try to choke for a little while and go find out where the best place to eat is um but i've also been able to do a few seminars around the world and things since um i am still just in the budding part of of trying to compete at black belt um so i'm excited to, to be part of the uh, event tomorrow um, and see how that goes with, uh, with Caitlin and I. I'll try to put in a good show for you guys. That's a great segue. So thank you very much for competing. You, you know, Sam is the main event uh, tomorrow with Caitlin Huggins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, C- Caitlin is naturally, I think, about a weight class above you, but you're not, you're not so far apart as for it to be for, for it to be silly sure, by yeah. any means. And so, um, Especially when I eat cookies a lot. Yeah, as you should. Yes. <laughs> Jiu-jitsu is all about choking, arm-locking, and eating cookies. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, as, as you know, we've been talking about this, and this is the first ever black belt women's match in the state of North Carolina, which kind of... Really? S- yeah. I didn't know that, actually. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really surprised me, too. But, but, um, but you know, I talked to just about everybody who's been around North Carolina Jiu-Jitsu, and... and uh, we it, it's just never happened before so it's I've very cool that you guys have it as the main event i really you know i appreciate that um didn't have to do that so it's just kind of fun that <laughs> i get to be a part of it it's really neat thank you oh yeah of course of course we're all about community events and it's it's really nice when you can do something that's also has some historical significance and especially you know as, as you know as someone you know you and caitlin are both active competitors you're both people that you know teach a lot but also also train and, and to compete so i think it'll be i think it'll be a great event do you have do you have a game plan going into events like this or do you is, <laughs> is that <laughs> you're you're laughing but is that the, is it the kind of thing where you just do your jujitsu and see what happens i or? probably should have more of a game plan than i do but that's been the case for several years of competition now um that i you know there was a while where my teammates knew better than to even tell me that like the brackets were up because i like i don't care i don't want to know it's going to be hard no matter what for a super fight like this it would make a lot more sense for me to be like i only have one person to worry about then i could study their game but i just kind of always figure that what will happen will happen and i will try my hardest and hopefully show up and do well and impose my will upon another person and shake hands with them afterwards and that's the goal and if not we still laugh about it and have a good time um so yes i i don't i would not advise that if i had a friend that was was trying to go to a competition and they had a a set match with somebody i would say yeah you might as well look them up and know something about them but i just kind of have a lot of other stuff going on in my life right now so i haven't really spent the time on on researching Miss Huggins. <laughs> well, that's sort of also the Marcelo Garcia philosophy, right? Like where I'm going to try and do my thing, yeah. and if I can do successfully my thing, the other person isn't going to be able Doesn't to do that. Doesn't even matter, thing. yeah. yeah and, then, <laughs> and then we're going to smile and have fun afterward and go ride our bicycle around New York City. Well, well, <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Form Marcelo Garcia. Uh, so, yeah, so in addition to jiu-jitsu, and like I want to talk about how the body work that you do sort of informs your jiu-jitsu and how you got into that as well. So maybe you can start by sort of describing your business to well, folks. Well, um, the thing that's been more distracting for me from from jiu-jitsu i still train minimum four times a week usually more than that um but i have a a business in philadelphia um stretch and align llc which started out as a a thai bodywork practice um we had a rehab therapist training with us for a while named joy carey it was great and she went to thailand to learn thai massage and left me with some dvds and i discovered this was a form of bodywork that used leverage and body mechanics to end knowing people's limits to manipulate another person's body 
except you use it for forces of good instead of evil. So this is a great yin to the yang of jujitsu. Um, and jujitsu was a surprisingly good background to have for something. But it's all about body awareness. I know somebody that's a great dancer that's very good at Thai massage too. Um, it's just body awareness and kinesthetic. Um, yeah, kinesthetic ability. Um, so I, about six months or so ago, I started studying with uh, Dr. Andrea Spina out of Toronto, um, going to a couple of his classes around the States. And, you know, if you're interested in, in movement therapy stuff, I love the program. It's called Functional Range Conditioning or FRC. And it's, I started getting impatient with how body work is great. Thai massage, if you've never had it, uses um, leverage and mechanics to put you through range of motion and stretching. So it's passive, you're totally relaxed. And you get bent. It's often referred to as having yoga done to you while you stay relaxed is the catchphrase and kind of in the industry. Um, but... I care more about whether or not somebody has an active range of motion than a passive range of motion nowadays. Um, if we're just trying to relax you is one thing, but can you lift your arm over your head before you can do a pull-up? Can you, you know, for jiu-jitsu, which re requires such an incredible demand of range of motion and loaded range of motion where something is not only weighted on top of your range of motion, it is also trying to kill you and change that <laughs> range of motion. Um, it's so important to be able to control your body in so many different circumstances. So my new goal now is to try to figure out how to help people have more active range of motion, um, which define as, for example, I've, I've always been flexible. Um, if I do, I can stop people from passing my guard in stupid ways, like I can do a split, or one of my teachers says that being flexible, Tim Sylvester in Greasy Philadelphia says being flexible is sort of the same thing as cheating by being strong. It's just using a natural gift, so to speak, even if you worked for it, um, to overcompensate for lack of technique sometimes. <laughs> and I've definitely found that. You haven't passed my guard because my leg's doing a split, but I can't bring you back. I, I have no power there. Um, and wouldn't it be nice if I had a short range of motion or a long range of motion where my leg is extended or my hook is pinched to my butt and I can actually do something with it? So all of that is trying to say that I want people to have better control over every range of their bodies. Um, and reduce injuries in jujitsu and any other sport is kind of my my goal now. I think those are great. That was a goals. lot. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think I think it's important because a lot of you know many of the uh, folks in the audience have had Thai massage, and if you haven't, go out and get one because it's amazing. And and many, you know, and I think that's a subset of our audience, and even an even smaller subset will know about body work more generally. And so I think you've given a good a primer explanation for it you mentioned about injury prevention and in addition to like sort of making your body feel good what do you think some of the benefits of you know why does expanding our one's range of motion the way that massage does why does that help us prevent injuries well the well this is this is where i've, I've kind of shifted gears a bit in my, my opinions about it i think that um range of motion that you quote unquote gain from a massage or passive stretching um is not useful and or certainly not as useful as I used to think it was and I, I am living proof of that with the guard passing example and such um, I think it's much more important that you're able to um, sort of like let's say you have a, a map between your body and your brain and you have a certain range of that map that you've explored and you're comfortable with but jujitsu is a great example of what happens when you're forced outside of that known map um, you might get hurt right you get people especially new people or white or blue belts that get these pulled ribs and like weird stuff or they post out and their wrist hurts and you know how many unfortunately knee injuries and shoulder injuries we have in this sport and yes there's to some degree it's a sport that stuff's going to happen but the more you are 
consciously aware of how to control your body in a larger range of motion and there's a connection between your brain and that everybody should do should do a simple test if you look down at your feet can you lift your big toe without your little toes can you lift your little toes without your big toe the first time i was asked to do that at the the andreas mina seminar thing i was like i do jujitsu i use my feet all the time i totally know how to do this stuff i looked down and he's like yeah most of you are looking at your down at your toe like you've never seen it before and i was like oh my god i've never seen my big toe before i haven't i can looking at it. it it was you know obviously a minuscule version of what i imagine paralyzed people feel they look down and they like can't they see it they know that it's there they should be able to control it and they can't and after doing some about a week's worth of work i was able to now have full range control on my big toe and that can be the lead of everything like that's connected to this whole chain of kinetics through your body and you need to be able to to do that um that's that's basically it so the um i posed this question to one of the groups that um uh, i'm part of as, as a result of studying with them um and this guy Stephen Bourne uh, responded with, "I would say that if you can't achieve a range actively and continue to use momentum or other external force as a means to achieve said position, your body is going to compensate somehow to complete the intended action. If you continue to execute the movement that you do not have active control over, right? So like I, yeah, I push off my toe, but I can't really control it there. Um, the compensatory tissues will continually be stressed over their capacity and lead to injury. You have to have active control before your body can safely go there without conscience." Um, so that was better said than I think I could, um, from one of my peers <laughs> about why, why it's injury prevention stuff. And so you, you post a lot of these, the, you know, you have an Instagram at stretch and align. Which is now move well Philly. I've, I've changed it cause I, oh, I, because I'm changing it into, into more conscious efforts of things, but. Okay. So, uh, so, uh, and we'll get into where people can follow you on, 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 you know, where people can get at you at the end of the interview, but. But you post a lot of these videos of body control. Like there was one where you're sitting in w- like a you're a ninety ninety position yeah, as you would, or or oh, I think the one I with the, with my gi was uh, just sitting in butterfly and like lift. Can you lift yourself up without leaning back and control internal rotation? Which most people go cramp. And I have a whole thing about cramps, by the way. That's one of the things I put on my Instagram is that that cramps are like your friends because it's saying that look, you're in a new territory that you don't quite know yet, but you're expanding your map. You are Lewis and Clark right now. You are going to find new territory and conquer it and it's not going to be as rocky and full of things trying to kill you really soon just just breathing it through it <laughs> all right, cramps and shaking when you're trying to do mobility work are kind of a good sign like all right i'm uh, getting into new territory here i feel a lot better about myself now. All of a sudden. <laughs> exactly. so, so thanks for that you should still hydrate and eat bananas but yeah. it's just yes aside from that those are just good rules for living anyway <laughs> sure um so uh, so how long have you been open um i just opened a new studio in in philly uh, literally like two weeks ago um i've had a practice for this for just the thai body work for several years now um and but i started making my clients like wave their arms around too much and be like wait i know i can put your arm there but can you raise your arm over your head and let's do a circle with that arm and let's reduce your pain when you're actually you know it's different like oh you feel good when you're with me i want you to feel good when you're away and part of the big thing of of the frc program is trying to educate clients on what they can do with their own bodies um how to what to look for um as far as where they feel pain where they might need help um and just trying to make people as self-sufficient as possible i have my i have a, a standing post on my facebook business page that my goal is really to put myself out of business and i'm nowhere near the knowledge capacity to do that at this point but you know one class at a time getting closer and closer to being able to help more people um but you want people to never need you again and then 
you know, if that's your true genuine goal in any business that you have, then I think that people will gravitate towards that. And there's a few billion people in the world, so that would be take a while anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but that would be wonderful if we had the kind of body awareness. Jiu-Jitsu people are generally more body aware than most people. Um, you know, I think most Jiu-Jitsu people can do a reasonably good squat, but not always and things like that. And it's, But it's amazing when you get out into this unsheltered world of non-Jiu-Jitsu people that don't use their bodies on a daily basis and you say, like, get up and down off of the floor. It's amazing how hard it is for people. And everybody has relatives and family and friends that maybe aren't part of the culture that can benefit from doing things as simple as just exploring your own body's movement, you know, until... The, the brain is really smart. It wants your body to be efficient. If you don't use a range of motion or you don't use a language that you used to know or things like that, it's like, all right, because you don't need that anymore. So we're just going to take it away. So you need to practice daily range of motion, practice that language or whatever you want to retain um, in order to maintain it. So that's just want everybody doing that. <laughs> in, yeah, that, the, all of that makes sense. And in terms of your client breakdown, what's the breakdown between jujitsu people and non-jujitsu people? I'm, uh, I have mostly non-jiu-jitsu people right now. Um, I don't know. Some of that might be my fault. Um, I, I definitely have used a lot of my jiu-jitsu friends as ready um, uh, test dummies of some of the things. So they maybe they didn't always get the best that I could have had, too, because they was practicing on them for lower rates or whatever. Um, and hopefully I will, will get in more and more of them as I get better in my practice. But um, So I would say most of my clientele are, are, are non-jiu-jitsu people. Um, Part of that also is I, I jujitsu people don't always have a lot of money to spare because we're spending it all on geese and stuff. So as a business, it's in my best interest to have people that are outside as well, as much as I love my guys. I girls. think every jujitsu person listening to this podcast is nodding along with you yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. We're a, I love you, but yeah. <laughs> I still got to pay the bills. But <laughs> well, so so do you have a success story? I'm, I'm curious if you have a success story from that from a particular client where you've sound, seen somebody make great progress that has been particularly validating for you. And if you want to break that down into jujitsu and non-jujitsu categories, if you're able to do that, you can. But like, I'm just curious about what, for, uh, for you as, in, as, as someone that leads people through this, what's been most rewarding for you? Some of the people, well, I mean, uh, from the body work over the last few years, I've had plenty of people that like had migraines and they don't have it for weeks because of doing the Thai therapy stuff, the Asian style medicine. Um, I've had people that whatever pain they had, just it's gone afterwards. And I don't expect that. It's fantastic. If you can do that in one session, great. But I'm never <laughs> going there promising that. Um, for the active stuff, since it's newer, I don't have as big a body of things to pull from. But I will say like uh, a good friend of mine, um, Purple Belt, uh, that I work on pretty regularly, um, you know, I came up and, and said, hey, what's going on with your shoulder? And he couldn't lift his arm past, like, shoulder height. And really, okay. And five minutes later, he was doing a full arm circle. So sometimes this FRC stuff, which is basically use of targeted isometrics um, in, in, the, in the beginning stages of it, can seem like a bloody miracle. You're like, oh, man, I, I get hurt so bad if I try to lift this. And five minutes later, you're doing a full arm circle. And then it's your job to maintain it. Continue doing that full arm circle all that stuff like the homework is a really important part of it so if anything i'd like to get that driven home with people like to to try and do it on your own don't don't give me money for this stuff you can maintain a lot of this if you just put a little effort five 
to 20 minutes a day into doing this stuff where it's a practice thing even even a dancer friend of mine who's uh you know using her body in- incredibly and is professional level we we're working on just sh- circles with her scapula like making as big a circle as we can she's like yeah we do this in warm-ups all the time but there's a big defined difference between doing just a circle to warm up and doing a mindful circle where you're trying to make it as big as you can can i tuck my shoulder blade in my back pocket can i bring it all the way forward can i bring all this stuff and that's kind of the biggest difference um in the basic homework stuff i've had since since working with this group um of trying to just be more mindful about things and using your maximum range of motion um one of the books i'm reading in neuroplasticity talks about how as we get older you basically aren't going to maintain things unless like new things unless you try really really hard at it so um in order to to have it stick with you um so there's something to that about the use it or lose it in both brain capacity and, and the mobility stuff um but it's not as easy when after we hit adolescence to learn new skills um everybody knows that kids learn basically osmosis and um they're saying like it makes sense evolutionarily because before a certain age you can't possibly know what will be important for your life um so teach your kids everything you can now (laughs) and then there's a huge calling of synapses and connections in the brain once they hit adolescence and then it's a little harder um to do everything so and then we have to to learn um i don't know (laughs) all of that makes sense uh one or two last questions like when martial arts people come to you, are they usually coming to you after they've had an injury, or are they coming to you for injury prevention, or uh, and what should they be doing if they're not doing the right thing? I mean, I, I love the like the prehab quote unquote movement as be is becoming a lot bigger, um, and I follow a lot of people on Instagram that are doing really really inspiring work. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, yes, jujitsu people tend to be more on the side of. Uh, that's I am injured now. What can I do about it? Um, Josh Vogel is a really great, uh, really super nice black belt and um, also an FRC practitioner up at Balance in in Philadelphia. And uh, and he he said in that the same conversation I put. I said the the conversation breaks down a lot of the time. It's a health and performance. Um, I find that the younger jujitsu people have to be shown some of the cool active range of motion stuff um, that allows you to do like oh like all right I can put. I'm, I'm compressed. My elbows are totally compressed and side control. Somebody's on top of me. It'd be great if I could actually generate power from this position. Um, like, all right, I get that. Or like, I have to say like, hey, you want to work on your wrist mobility so that when you post, you don't break something. Uh, <laughs> things along those lines, because the stress is going to go somewhere and stop doing handstands if you can't bring your hand to a 90 degree um, active range of motion. And then he also added, uh, Josh also added, older jujitsu people seem more ready to have the joint health and injury prevention conversation go figure you know so learn learn from <laughs> all your stuff but i will i will say i've had i've had both um there's there's some across the the spectrum of ages and things i've had people interested in one or the other but um it is it's my job to figure out how to communicate that better that this by spending some time and some money on yourself uh you will um be able to prevent bad things from happening in the future and i mean the car is the easiest analogy with that like okay if i I do preventative maintenance on my car. It saves me thousands and thousands of dollars later. But the same is very true for your body. And for some reason, we tend to not care as much about that as we do about our vehicles. So where can folks find you on on Instagram or any place else if they're interested in becoming a client? I have um, I have two uh, Instagram accounts. I have my, my jiu-jitsu one, which is BJJ Sam. Um, and then my... Uh, my bodywork practice one is Move Well Philly. Um, nothing weird about that, all, all one word. And uh, movewellphilly.com is the website that I just built um, 
primarily now the, the best representation of me is the movewellphilly.com. And then I also have a, a, a Tumblr that I've been writing jujitsu stuff on for some time, uh, bjjsam.tumblr.com. Digitsu has been, digitsu.com, one of my sponsors, has been fantastic with uh, allowing, um, putting forth some of my articles with that too. Your most recent one was about the different types of uh, white belts that exist in, in the world and how to encourage them to keep coming to train. So I definitely give them a shout out. And, and my gi sponsor, Fushida, I guess, while I'm at it. I'm not used to this. <laughs> no, absolutely. absolutely. It, it, it's, yeah. it's really important to shout out all <laughs> yes. the sponsors right at the important. end. So. There's two, so I got that. <laughs> right on. And my, my wonderful training partners at Grace Academy Philadelphia that I'm trying to keep healthy as much as I can. Awesome. <laughs> well, best of luck tomorrow, Sam, and thanks so much for thank talking you. to us today. Thank you very much for having me. Hopefully it didn't go on too long. <laughs> all right, thank you.